Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. The purpose of my show is to provide an educational experience on the different areas of financial planning. Uh, I have a go uh, guest with me today. This is part two from the prior episode. I have Larry Faulkner with me. Welcome again, Larry. Thank you very much for joining the show. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to talk with you. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, and, and the pleasure, I'm sure, is going to be shared with all of our viewers because what I'm trying to do is share uh, some of the experiences that I got from reading your book. Your book was terrific. Uh, we showed it on the last episode. Here it is. It's called uh, From Money Disaster to Prosperity. And what I found fascinating about the book is it was financial planning, but very much from a different lens. And the lens that you provided in this book is a lot more from the psychology of it. And the problem, call it problem, we talked about it in the first episode, is destructive behaviors that really start from childhood. And picking up, and I took all kinds of notes here, and i got to find the place where I have them, is we talked about the four destructive behaviors we didn't talk about, we're going to talk about, we saved it for this episode. And the four destructive behaviors, I'll say them, but we're going to go through them. Overspending, underspending, under-earning, and lying to yourself. So, Larry, we're going to start, pick, pick up where I just teed you up. Well, overspending is, is a common problem that occurs, and... Uh, People think that they need to take care of themselves and others with money, so they're constantly spending money, and uh, they, they get into serious debt problems, and they understand that they need to stop spending, but they just never do it. They just keep on spending and spending, and that's not going to stop until, uh, until you have some realizations about where that spending comes from. And that comes from an inner self-belief that, that you're not good enough or that you need to take care of other people. Well, you know, even so, uh, I think the same can be with overeating, um, snacking. Yes. And the two go hand in hand because it's a oftentimes a psychological, I, I'm sad, I don't feel good, or I'm unhappy. So therefore, right. I'm going to be drinking, I am going to be eating or I am going to go shopping, okay, and spend money because spending money gives a short-term high to make you feel good, but only for that moment that you spent or only for that, you know, and so now that creates a longer-lasting problem, which oftentimes is followed by remorse. Remorse, yes, regret. People, after spending, the most common feeling a little bit later is regret. Man, I really regret spending that money. And they feel really bad about it, which makes them feel worse, which starts to cycle over again. Right, right. And you see that a lot. And, you know, I, I see it with clients. I see it with just people in general. They just, every moment they see a little bit of money, they have to go buy something with it. Or... I think a home equity line of credit, and I say this every single yeah. time, a home equity line of credit is one of the most 
useful financial tools you could possibly have as long as the first two words out of your mouth after you close aren't woo. Okay, because if all of a sudden it opens the door for spending, then it is the worst financial tool. And, you know, we've used home equity lines of credit to bail people out of their own debt that they created. And then all of a sudden you meet with them six months, year, two years later, and their line of credit's full. And so is their credit cards again. So, so how do you treat that behavior, Larry? Well, the first thing we have to do is, is realize where it came from. So uh, in your case, you call on the client. The client has to think about what is this behavior all about? Does it make me to feel less stress? Is it to make me feel like I have to take care of other people? You know, what is it about? And after that, you, you, you have to take your mind off the spending. You have to do other things. Uh, you have to get feel better through exercise, feel better through diet, feel better through therapy. You have to do those things rather than spend money. So you sort of uh, transfer your behavior. You don't just stop spending. That's, that's well, and, and the, the relationship between that and people who overeat and people who drink, not, not necessarily, there's a lot of different reasons, but the relationship is similar to all of them and as you input, uh, it's a function of learning about yourself, which is typically through some type of therapist, because chances are there's something underlying, as you pointed out earlier, self-esteem could be the issue. It could right. be abuse as a child somehow manifests its way into spending or going into debt. Really, it's spending. You go into debt as a result of the spending. And there you are. And then it just the regret, and then all of a sudden you're, you're, it's out of control and it's tough to come back from. So that's, that's the first that's one. Terrific. And people who are able to get better, uh, a lot of times they'll relapse, just, just like in alcohol or drugs. So the self-care is a constant thing that they yes. have to do to keep from that, doing that spending. Do they have 12-step programs for people who are spenders? They absolutely oh, do. Oh, do they really? Uh, we're deading and for uh, uh, overspending, there's there's several 12-step programs. Interesting. I did not know that. That's good to know. Area. Very good to know. So the second destructive is underspending, although that seems to scratch your head and say, huh? Uh, that seems a little unusual. Can you please elaborate? Well, I, I include several different stories in my book. As a matter of fact, the book uh, focuses a lot on the stories as an example because without the stories, it doesn't make any sense. Correct. And I made sure that no one could be identified from from these stories, but every one of them comes from my personal experience. Oh, every really? single one of them. Your personal and experience or people you have known? And, met and know. Right, okay. And watch them, you know, you watch them from over here, it's easier than going through it, you know. But anyway, one of the biggest problems with underspending is that you don't take care of yourself like you should, of course. Hmm. But also, man, it destroys family relationships, friend, friendships. It destroys everything. Uh, you uh, people view you as so cheap. Yeah, cheap one. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they they just don't. Eventually, they just don't want anything to do with you. And 
the person who's underspending, it's, it's almost like compulsion. They're only safe if they're spending money. And they won't even pay their basic bills. It's not that they, they have lots of money, but they won't pay their basic bills a lot of times because spending equals uh, unsafety. Right. The, the security comes from saving money. And that's well, what they do. As I was reading a little bit, I was like, ooh, uh-oh, underspending. That almost sounds like me. Because I went through a period of my life where wasn't making enough to cover the cost of living, you know, married, young children, not working. And I figured I did not want to change the standard of living for the rest of the family. So I cut myself out of any spending on myself. But... Then I realized that's not where the book was going with it. And it was right. relatively short-lived anyway. So you don't see that as, or at least I've not seen that as often, but I can see, you know, we all met cheap wads during the course of our life. Right. Under-earning is another one that you talk about in the book. And that, again, could very well be a self-esteem issue. Oh, and it's absolutely focused on self-esteem. And uh, the person only uh, wants to earn so much. That's not in the forefront of the brain. That's in the back of the brain. Because if they're successful, then they have to change their view and thinking of, of themselves and life and everything. So it's much easier just to go along, get along, make low wage, minimal wage, or uh, a little bit more, and just barely get by. And people who do this, if you know them and care about them, they're, they're very frustrating to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and, and it always goes back to self-esteem. I was just going to say that. I mean, I, I, have to, I don't run into a lot of people that way because it seems as though um, most people want to make more. But maybe the self-esteem issue is saying, well, you know, I, I shouldn't be a manager because I'm not good enough. Or I can't right. manage other people or, you know, or, 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 and it leads itself into the next self-destructive behavior is lying to yourself. Right. And, you know, and that's really sad. And, and, and that, again, goes back to the fundamentals of how you developed as a child or what external forces caused you to go down the wrong path. And it could even be who you hung out with. That's absolutely true. Who you hang out with makes a huge difference. And I think we all lie to ourselves a little bit, but these people lie to themselves in an extreme. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend this money because I deserve this. That's right. lying to yourself. What you deserve is, is happiness and, and uh, ability to live your life like you want. So, that's just not going to work. And that and lends itself to overspending it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's really important. And being totally honest with yourself is a skill. You have to sort of work at it. But uh, you can get there. And it's important that you do that. You also talk a lot, which goes all hand in hand with everything we talked about, is habits. Good habits, bad habits. Right. Habits uh, are very strong, and you have an emotional connection to all your habits. Like my habit is uh, Diet Coke, I, and my friends are, when they hear this, will laugh because they know 
that I drink at like 24-7. <laughs> and I like my habit, and I'm emotionally attached to it. So I have to kind of redirect that behavior. So I drink Diet Coke up until about 2 o'clock, and then I find something else to drink. because I, I So I'm substituting. Not good for your teeth. Don't tell your dentist right. that you're doing that, okay? Right. <laughs> so, you know, actually, on that note, this is a, a little tidbit completely unrelated, but it reminded me of something. You know how you don't pour soda on your car because it'll right. heat it up? So right. um, back in the day, I don't know when it was, um, the EPA had a rule that you couldn't transport uh, certain substances that have a pH or acidity below a certain thing or else you have to put a placard saying hazardous substance. But the Coke syrup was a very low pH, meaning very acidic, and they're lobbying to the EPA, whoa, time out. You need to make it so that we transport this Coke syrup and or else you know people are going to look at Coke syrup as being acidic and bad for me that's not good pr anyway i went completely off track just the perfect timing because of the fact that believe it or not we're on break already so um stay tuned we'll be back with you in just a few moments have you saved enough for retirement are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event have you thought about your financial future Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary, no-obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner. I am here with my guest, Larry Faulkner. Uh, Larry, this has been absolutely terrific. Uh, we're winding down in the last segment of our two-part episode. And so, again, we're talking about all of the fascinating stuff that's in your book. Well, the book that I had the pleasure of reading. Um, you sent me two books, and I can't find the other one. It's driving me crazy, but that's a separate issue. What I do is the illustrated thing. Um, the book is... From money disaster to prosperity, and as we talked about, it's looking at financial planning, but from a different lens, and that different lens is from the psychological and personality perspective, and it's really, uh, to a great extent, therapy, things along that nature. So one of the things that you also talked about, which quite frankly, you know, our lives so overlap, okay, it, it, you know, we're a lot more of the technical but you talk about the 50-30-20 rule. Can you please share that with the viewers? Right. Ideally, you should work towards a budget where 50% uh, 
is your normal everyday fixed expenses. I got to pay rent. I got to pay electric. I got to pay lights. I got to pay my car payment. That should, shouldn't take up any more of your 50% of your check. Your 30% is things I want. I want to go out to eat. I want to stop and do this. I want some extra stuff to eat at the, at the grocery that I don't really need. That's what the 30% for. The 20%, however, is what you should work up to saving. And, and I say that that's the bare minimum. That 20% will make it mean something at the end of your 20, 25 years. Uh, we started working toward the 20%. We got to 20%. Uh, eventually, we worked all the way up to 50% of our pay, our combined pay. But that's sort of another story. Well, Larry, I think you're going to find a lot of the viewers are going to say 50% savings. How yeah. in the world? But I want to ask you this question. So I think a lot of people, particularly those living paycheck to paycheck, under earners and, and what have you, or young people who have a standard of living, they're out of college, and, and they're just not making enough where they could put 20% away. Or more importantly, that what if their needs are much greater than 50%? What do you recommend there? Well, uh, try, to try to reduce them if you can. It, it's all about making decisions. If What's important to you, okay? Is the car I drive important? That's oh. great if it is. Then that's fine. That's what's going to get the money. But then we're going to have to make some decisions about other things. So it's all a matter of deciding what's important. If going out on Saturday night with your friends is super important, that's great. You don't have to cut that out. But what you have to do is make adjustments in other areas that aren't important. So that's how you that's how you get down to that fifty percent. Well, that goes and, okay. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the thirty percent, uh, it doesn't sound like that much, but when you don't have that many bills. When you start reducing your bills, that 30%, we had more money week to week than almost any of our friends. And we're living, you know, super close. And, and it's just because we didn't have all those extra bills. Right. So if we decided in our 30% category, we wanted to go do something, we could. Many of our friends couldn't afford it. Well, you, you bring up a handful of things that are underlying themes in what we talk about, okay? And it goes hand in hand also with what you're talking about. Um, you need to control your wants, okay? Because if you don't need it and going out with your friends on Friday night and Saturday night and going to the bar Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, those are wants that you're burning through, but you like, well, I need to go out. Well, no, you don't. You know, I need these shoes. Oh, I need this and I need this. No, that's really where you need to prioritize, which is one of the things that I, I wanted to point out. Prioritization is extraordinarily important. And I always make the statement, uh, I've always made the statement that we all have $10 in goals, but somehow $7 in our pocket, which means that what you, you know, the goal may be, I want to retire tomorrow. And I want to have a million-dollar home, and I, but you know it may be unrealistic. But where I'm going with it is, very few of us have more money than the goals that we have, which means we need to prioritize them, and that's determining needs 
and more so once. But one of the things that I strongly encourage is a simple little rule of pay yourself first. And that could be in the form of 401ks, a savings program of some sort, because I have a, a little anecdote, which I know I've said this on other episodes. If you take two twin brothers at age 22, one of them puts $500 a month for eight years until he's 30. The other twin brother says, nope, fast cars and beer and women and, you know, that's my priority. All of a sudden at age 30, he grows up and says, okay, now it's time for me to begin saving $500 a month. Yet the other brother stops. At age 65, the brother who saved $500 a month for eight years in his 20s has more money than his other brother who was saving for 35 years. And that's the magic of compounding. Now, another moral of the story that I also have with all of my clients, one of the, one of the um, beauties of what I, I just love the, the, the personal aspect of, I see the range of demographics of people that we meet, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. But I've had the pleasure working more than 20 years in the industry of actually following people through these demographics. Yeah. And the one thing I've noticed, and Larry, you probably can attest to this, is it's really weird, much like people begin to lose their reading vision right around the age of 40. People really begin to lose their, they start to get tired and tired of it right around age 60. And they hang on for either 62 Social Security, a company package that they can get out for medical, or they hang on till age 65 so that they can get the medical insurance until Medicare kicks in. And let me tell you something. The, what you do early in your life puts you in an entirely different position in your late 50s when you begin to get tired or tired of it, or let's be practical, age discrimination exists out there, okay? And so if you get laid off in your mid to late 50s, you're gonna, and you're making a good job or a good pay, you may find it very difficult to find another job at that pay. And I saw that a lot with people who got let go from the technology industry in the early 2000s. It, it just falls so hand in hand that I can't under, you know, so, and so again, $7 in your pocket with $10 worth of goals. The question is, you've got to establish priorities. Is your, because whatever you do one thing, you're sacrificing something else. And if your future is important to you to not work forever, then that 20% needs to start rising higher on your list of priorities. Do you agree? I'm sure you agree. Uh, you have to agree. I, I, I absolutely agree. It, 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 makes your, it makes your life so much better. I almost think we do a disservice to people who we tell them, save for retirement. Even though I still use the 401k accounts and the Ross and the IRAs first, first. That's the first thing I fund. Right. But still, 
the mindset of saving for retirement gives me permission to put that off, to put that worry about it later. I'm, right. I'm, I'm young. I don't need Here to again is the mindset, so, especially the mindset. Yeah, so that that really hurts people. And, and people also, they, they don't understand how much better their life is if, if they have the adequate financial resources. If something happens tomorrow, we, we can deal with it. If we, we just we, we had 30th wedding anniversary, we went to Las Vegas for a week. It turned out to be a little bit long. We were ready to come back a little bit before, but uh, you can do those things. And we decided like a month before to do it. We can do those things now. Uh, it, your, your life is just so much better. We've traveled all over Europe and uh, we've been to Africa. We've done all these great things. On all a cop salary. We started early. On a cop's salary. Yes. And, you know. A cop and a nurse. That's, that's right. You know, two professions with which I have a tremendous amount of respect for. So, Larry, it's time. <laughs> I, I, I can't begin to tell you. I, I was looking so forward to our, my interview with you. Um, I think what you preach. And what you write in your book, and I, I love to find that other one because I want to read it too, and I will when I find it. Or if I don't, then I'm going to go buy it. But I'll tell you what, this book right here is the book that I think says so much. And actually, I was talking to uh, my staff in the office, is I'm going to get that book for my staff in the office. It'll help them for themselves. But as financial planners, we need to be thinking about the um, hurdles or the speed bumps or what's going on with our clients that if we see that they have spending issues, debt issues, we may be able to guide them down the path of helping themselves. So Larry, tell me a little, tell me about your books. I want you to tell me about your books. You got three books, right? Right. And, and the first one is Messages from Your Future. This was about my financial journey primarily. And it, it also centers a lot on ethics, how ethics impact everything you do and how important they are. So uh, that's what that's about. And, and it also tells about how I had to learn these financial concepts that's that good. I now know uh, and, and why they were important. And each chapter has a story about a historical person who used the same principles, right. a current perspective about me, and and some about story about someone else. So Stories work story. because people can relate to them. Right. And the next book is the, uh, the Illustrated Guide to Financial Independence. And people start reading finance stuff, and, and a lot of times they glaze over. They think it's not interesting. You start making a little bit of money, actually, it becomes a lot more interesting. But uh, their, their eyes glaze over. The, uh, yeah. So there's cartoons in the end of each chapter that summarizes the concepts so that you can read the cartoon. And hopefully the idea is that cartoon will drag you back to the text so that you'll read a little bit more and, and learn about that financial concept. And then the more you learn, the more interesting you yep. find it. So that's what that book is about. And this book we've covered fairly thoroughly and it's and i think the core message of the book this last book is 
uh, from money disaster to prosperity, is that uh, if you can do more, do more, be a little, just a little bit more successful, you feel better, you feel like you're more, and then you become more. So that's, that's the thrust and focus of that book. Larry, I'm going to look forward to checking out your other two books, and thank you very much for taking the time to be on my show. Um, and certainly, I hope all of the viewers who have watched this have learned something. And I, I encourage you to read the book. I'm going to take buy the book for my staff, and even encourage clients who may be dealing with issues that are some of these destructive behaviors. This is very good to know as an individual and as a financial advisor. So thank you for joining. Um, Mike Manager, host of Financial Planning Explained. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you very much.